Thank you for tuning in to Point Gas. My name is Josh. I'm your, I will be your host today. And in the building with me, I've got Anthony Arnold. Hello, hello. Thank you for that, Anthony. Uh, you wrote another article on uh, the Pointcast website, pointcast.news. Check that out if you haven't already. Uh, we're going to go ahead and dive into the meat of the article and some of the things that I think we should talk about because I think that they are definitely things that the world needs to know at the moment. So, Anthony, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good, man. I'm excited to be here, excited to talk about this. Uh, this was a fun one to write. So Good, good. Well, let's go ahead and dive in then. Um, for, for those of you who are not aware of the uh, the article's content as of where, as of right now. It's about uh, gun control as a whole and the rifle-shaped elephant in the room known as the NRA. Uh, for those of you who may not know what that is, don't know who you are yet, uh, it's the National Rifle Association. Um, let's, it's a bit hard to talk about gun control in America without dealing in some way with the NRA right now. That was kind of the main purpose of the article. Yeah. Um, can you give me some of your some of your general thoughts as to why you think that might be? Well, I mean, they have uh, they shaped sort of the the status quo. They've shaped the political argument in, in such a way that you you can't you can't talk about the topic. You can't propose any solutions to like the sort of violence that I think everybody actually wants to get rid of. Like nobody, for instance, wants schools just to be shot up right no one on either side of the aisle is actually happy with that but whenever people try to talk about it you sort of realize that the, the thing we've come to accept as like a normal state of affairs is actually the nra's manipulation mm-hmm. uh, of one party in particular but I, I alluded to this in an article they've like somehow manipulated both parties into positions and i one party i think is like i think republicans are, are well aware that they have been manipulated Whereas the other side, yeah, may not be I, I don't as think aware. Democrats are quite as well, quite as aware of like actually you you've actually been manipulated kind of exactly to where the NRA wants you to go, um, <laughs> which is bad. <laughs> it's very bad. It's very bad. Um, that something I, I wanted to say about that is something that we'll go ahead and talk about a little later uh, in the interview itself. But one of the things that was surprising to me, so I I read the article and I went ahead and I was like, wait. There's no way, right? Like I, the the NRA. I, I mean, I know they've been impactful, sure, but like, there's no way they can be that powerful. And so I went ahead and like looked it up. And the first place I started was, well, let me see how the NRA presents itself. Like, let me go to the the NRA website, right? Let me look at the about us and just kind of see what they say. Like, what's yeah. their story according to them? And really, if you, I mean, they they give a fairly good detail of their history. I, I think as a whole, the the purpose of their organization really isn't all that bad of an idea i mean it it was mostly born out of a a grassroots idea that you you know we want to shoot guns and learn more about guns for science yeah so and i mean you we we were having a a brief conversation about this you know originally it was it was kind of born out of an idea that you know went especially as the the civil war was happening northerners weren't as familiar with guns as the the hunters in the south so it makes sense that yeah. you want to, you know, train people to how to use these things that are that are a very big part of the wars that we're fighting. Yeah, I, I get that. I, I I connect to that in a fundamental way. Yet, if we look at what the NRA is now, I feel like it's very very different. Right, right. I, I mean, yeah. To what you were saying, if, if you're gonna have a Second Amendment, then you theoretically want people to know what they're doing with their guns. Yeah. I, I mean, that's like a it seems like a no-brainer, like right? A logical, okay, <laughs> sure. If we have it, then it, I guess we should make it as good as possible that people know what they're doing. But 
Um, and for most of their history, that's what they were. And then, you know, in these sort of uh, crazy tumultuous 60s, 70s, they became something else and they became explicitly political. And then in the partisanship that sort of gripped the country ever since then, they've become identified with, with one party in Very particular. So. Um, and that has sort of informed everything that they've been doing since then. Um, and it really is, you know, researching this one was an eye opener. Um, Dude, reading it was an eye opener. I, I mean, <laughs> like a lot of people, I, I had a, a thought about why the NRA was so impactful. And that was just wrong. I was like, oh, well, it's, it's way more than money, which makes it way worse. Um, you know, I come down at the end of the article, I come down, but I'll just, I'll say it up front. Like, I think the NRA is bad. Not because I think guns are bad, but because I think what the NRA has done to the discourse around gun control is has, bad. It's bad. It's yeah. so bad that it makes any progress actually impossible to see. And I, that's just, that's I terrible. Mean, that's bad. Yeah. yeah. It's bad for American politics. It's bad for American discourse. Yeah. It's it's really just bad. Yeah. It's, Especially it's, over something as important and as impactful as gun control. Right. Which is like, the, you know, before we dive in sort of and go into the details, the, the thing to keep in mind is the the backdrop here is that the status quo is one in which... You can be killed by random violence essentially anywhere you go in the United States. Mm-hmm. Church, mall, concert, your kids can be killed at school. No matter where you go, you are always at risk of random gun violence from people. And that's the background. That's the status quo. And the NRA is trying to enforce that status quo because to change it would mean to remove their power. And that's why they're bad. They're bad because the cost of doing nothing is just random violence on a scale that no one else in the world has to see. Yeah, no other civilized country has right. the same level of exactly. gun violence as we exactly. do. So this is a very, very American problem. Yes. That I feel yes. like it needs a very American solution. Correct. And that's why they're bad, because they're trying to maintain a status quo that is, I think, unacceptable to anybody. I'd agree. So let's let's go ahead and talk then a little bit more about why they're so powerful, why yeah. they're so successful. Because uh, in, in my own research, like you, I assume, uh, a lot of people would think that, especially companies, corporations, they get most of their, you know, power in politics through lobbying and throwing money at constituents and whatnot. But if you really look at it, that's not exactly how the NRA works. No, um, there are many groups that spend more money than they do and have much less success and much less success in terms of getting lawmakers to actually do what they want them to do or to give them time of day. Um, the NRA, you know, money can be a good opener. If you go to some thousand dollar plate meeting or like the wine cave with Mayor Pete, (laughs) that'll secure you a certain amount of like access. Like you get to shake hands and like you get some FaceTime, but ultimately if you can't deliver votes, then politicians really don't care because the currency is votes. Can you help me stay in office? I mean, if you're operating on like a crazy mega donor scale, maybe like, but that's not what's happening with the NRA. Like they're not, it's not that money is making it is giving them powers that their ability to deliver a, a, a small, but passionate percentage of people who are willing to go out there and do whatever they have to do in elections across the country. And I remember listening to Ralph Nader talk about this once. Break it down for me. 
and he 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 would say like you know people would go well this is impossible this is impossible and he would say people don't realize at the lowest possible level of politics which is like that that primary in your local politics mm-hmm. you only need a very small number of passionate people to actually change things mm-hmm. you know when we think about politics people think about the national scale and you go well what can you do what can you know us in this room what could we do on the national scale and the answer is really not much right but if you go can 10 people make a difference in your local primary yes yes because your candidate in your local primary is probably not well funded probably does not have like a big paid full-time staff probably does not have people to go out there and really canvas form or fundraise form you have 10 people who are like if you do what if, if you're willing to support me and do the things i want you to do we'll do that for you they can make a difference that's where the nra wins they win because at the lowest common level of politics they find people who are passionate about guns and those people will mobilize they will show up they will vote they will canvas they will call meetings they will post they will do whatever they have to do to get their favorite candidate to win and that lowest common level of politics is like 10 people can wield an enormous amount of power yeah especially if it's 10 people in 10 different districts and yeah the same state yes yeah. that's, that's, that's a big a deal. very small percentage of voters can really make a difference at that level and they they realize that to a level that it's it's not quite sh- I think everyone realizes that on some level but I think one reason Democrats struggle with this is because because the Democrat is a broad tent I think it can be tough to sort of get people to mobilize on like big single issues because they're just trying to tackle more and more and more but with Republicans it's like okay we're going to focus on a handful of things and so I, I it makes it a little cleaner for them to, to, to get people mobilized in this way um, and that's where it starts for them I mean that local level of politics is powerful it's, in, it's incredibly powerful yeah. and I think that's why you see a lot of very um, what's the best word you, you, a lot of very passionate people uh, in the Republican Party, because they they have people that are looking out for their one or two major issues. Yep. And that's kind of all that they need. Whatever yep. else comes with that is whatever else comes with that. But yep. that's I, I feel like it's generally common that Republicans are more unified on one or two subjects, whereas yeah. since Democrats are trying to uh, be diverse and they're trying to include a lot of other people and yeah. a lot of things. It's about it's a lot harder for an individual Democrat to figure out who the best candidate is right. because there's not one candidate shooting for all the things that most Democrats right. care about. Right. No. Yeah, that's true. I mean, uh, you know, on on guns, for instance, if if you're trying, you know, if if you're a Democrat in Georgia, which is a state that is increasingly becoming competitive for Democrats, yeah. You go, we we probably have a a lot of people here in Georgia who who like to hunt, and a lot of those people are probably Democrats, and they might not be on board with your sort of more strict gun control message because they grew up in a culture where like guns are are normal, like hunting is is normal, where where owning a gun in the home is like a normal thing. They they probably have more interaction with that than. You know, say you're sort of suburban Democrat in a, in a more northern state, right? And that complicates the politics. And if you're going to enforce it across the party, you're you're going to run into problems when you don't make concessions to like 
what local candidates need to do to win their local race. Yeah. This is where sort of the trying to establish a more firm, pure party line gets Democrats into trouble sometimes because you have to make allowances for like, hey, if some, if we want a Democrat to win in Georgia or in Texas, which is also, you know, you go, well, yeah, that's, that's another that's another big gun state. Yeah, that's a big gun state. <laughs> a Democrat in Texas might have to take a different stance on gun control. And you, you're going to have to be OK with that. So one of the things, one of the other things I wanted to go ahead and discuss um, as we are, you know, discussing the NRA and, and many of these companies that kind of push an agenda is that when they're discussing, you know, whatever it is they're combating or whatever it is they're they're trying to, you know, push into their agenda, they do this thing where they kind of spin the narrative. You saw the same thing happen with like Black Lives Matter yeah. as an example. Um, and there's a lot of work that goes into both moving the the conversation away from the original point, but then there's also a lot of work that people do on the other side trying to reclaim that as a thing. And I think when, as we're, you know, as we're discussing these things and as I was doing my own research on the NRA, the thing that I realized uh, most bothered me was the fact that, you know, and the NRA was, it, it's a grassroots organization. You know, it, it was never born out of, you know, an idea that we needed to politicize whatever this is. It was mostly just people trying to make a difference in their own way. Right. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. That's the, one of the great parts about America. However, we've come to find that with the success of the NRA, there's a lot of other people, local organizations that are doing the same thing. Um, and I want to go ahead and discuss a couple of examples that you may or may not already be aware of, yeah. of that being a thing. Uh, the first one, I, I do believe you are aware of this one, but uh, Sandpoint, Idaho is a is a very, a very important um, thing happening right now. So to kind of break that down, uh, Sandpoint is a very, or well, Idaho as in, in a general sense, um, is, is very pro-gun as a whole. Yeah. Um, Sandpoint specifically is uh, the birthplace of this com this organization called the ISAA, the Idaho Second Amendment Alliance. Huh. As you can tell, <laughs> it, it's already something that's, that's, that's feeling very pro-gun. Yeah. And for the most part, uh, I won't get into the, the specifics of, of all the things that they've done, but they're, they're pushing something called constitutional carry. Are you yeah. familiar with that, with that uh, term? I think it, so is this, uh, like you, you can just, Open carry, you don't need a license. Yeah, it, it's uh, it is literally the ability to legally carry open or concealed without permit or training. Yeah, that seems crazy to me, that seems right? And now, like, not yeah, like, not not to bash on the organization at all, but like, it, it, there are very, there, there are people who feel very strongly about these things, yeah. and I mean. One of the things that the NRA has done about this is make it about the Second Amendment instead of it being actually about guns. It, it yes. became a thing, and I think you hit on this in the article a bit, it became about like protecting your civil liberties yes. rather than protecting gun sales. Yes, this is a huge, huge part of what they've done. And while I, while I hate what they've done, there's a part of me that is also just goes, man, they are shrewd about how they have done this. And Absolutely. There, there are probably lessons to be learned, frankly, in how they've been so successful. But what you're mentioning is they have tied the concept of gun ownership to the concept of liberty and being able to just, like, freedom as a broad term. Yes. Like, that's why they say, like, you know, freedom's first, freedom's first defense or whatever. Mm -hmm. Because now 
to go against guns is to go against the concept of freedom. Yep. Or in in some cases, they also tie it to being like a part of an organization. So yep. being against guns means you're against the police. Yeah. Or being against guns means you're against the military. Yep. Or it's identity and politics. These other things. Yeah. Identity politics. That's what I was going to get to. Yep. I think that one of the one of the most interesting things that the IRA has ever done. Not now that you've opened my eyes to it, is is ingrained the idea of gun control in identity politics. I think you see that a yeah. lot, especially, like I said, when people are pushing an agenda. And I think the, the most notable example, at least of recent time that I can I can come to, this is why I'll come back to this all the time, is Black Lives Matter, right? You you've noticed as as you know the the original point of the movement was just that there was a lot of police brutality against black people that needs to stop being a thing. I feel like no one in their right mind is for people being brutalized and killed by the police. Right. Right. Except as soon as, you know, the, the right or whoever you want to, whoever want to call is responsible for it, started pushing it into something else into identity politics. Yep. So if you if you support Black Lives Matter, you obviously don't care about the police because right. they have lives too, right? right? Like Blue Lives Matter. That's right. that's one thing yep. that came out of that. Yep. So I, I think it's it's both interesting and horrifying, in my opinion, um, that this thing has become so ingrained in in people's lives that they've they they're taking actions right. on their own. You, right. you see the ISA, there are, there are even companies now that are taking their own stance in guns like Walmart, Kroger, CVS, yeah. all these places that used to sell ammunition for certain types of weapons just don't anymore right. or sell ammunition at all. Right. And of course, you know, they, they'll have their own policies about bring weapons in or out of their, um, in or out of their establishment. I mean, that's a private establishment. Like you can't yeah. refute that. But one of the things that I think is crazy is in this place, uh, Sandpoint, Idaho, there was a, there's like a, like a festival that happens yeah. every year. Um, and these people came into the festival with weapons, like openly carrying like assault tier weapons. Yep. And they were, they were pushed away. And at the gate for obvious reason, right? right? Like what, what else would you be doing right. with that in this place other right. than touting the fact that you can kill lots of innocent people. Right. And they fought back against it in probably the smartest way that I could have ever thought about. Cause reading the article, it, it definitely seems as if that's a stupid thing to do. Of course they'd be pushed right. away, but instead they framed it as if they were going like it's a public place that they're that they're in right now there are no actual rules against that they have licenses to open carry right so they should be allowed to do this in this public place yeah in this time yeah and everybody was like wait how do we fight this like yeah. how how absolutely how is this how does this become something that we we deal with when by all technicality they're kind of right it, yeah. it sucks but they're they're kind of right yeah so then what do you do like how how does one combat that and i think that a lot of the a lot of the shrewdness that came from the nra you know dealing with the things that they have bleeds into all these other organizations doing the same thing but that's not even that's just one half of it you see the other half doing the exact same thing another example of uh of an organization that i found that has lots of success combating combating 
constitutional carry, <laughs> which oh, man. It, as as a concept that just that just seems so so foreign to me. Yeah, um, is Moms Demand Action? Have you heard of them? I have. Yeah, I'm yeah. not surprised. Most people yep. have, yep. or one of their subsidiaries, like Kids Take Action, yep. or one of the other actual organizations that have like held up their cause. Yeah, um, and they've been very relevant in helping, especially local legislation, um, in helping to get responsible gun ownership in line and a bunch of other things. So it's, it's very clear that the NRA has kind of created two major sides to this argument. There's people who just want guns. They just want them. Yes. There's not really yeah. anything there. They just want to have them yeah. own their guns and do whatever they want with them. Yep. And then there are all these other people, myself included, if you haven't already <laughs> been able to tell who feels like gun ownership isn't bad, but we want responsible right. gun ownership. Right. Because in my mind, un- irresponsible gun ownership is what leads to the problems that we have right here in today's America. Right. So I like, it's just like examining it on a grand level is something that I'd never done before I read right. your article. And it's, it's so crazy to me that all of these things are happening all at the same time. But I mean, you know, we, we talked about this a little off air. What would you, because I, I agree like responsible gun ownership should be the goal, but I actually struggle to think about, what would responsible gun ownership look like? And would that be implemented fairly? Because we, we talked about this off air and we'll bring this conversation on because I do think it's relevant. I, I this is why the, this is why the politics of this gets complicated. If you gave the government more power to enforce gun ownership training and, and let's say you did create some sort of regulate, some sort of licensure or something. Is there any reason for us as men of color to think that this would not be applied unequally given what we know about American history what are the odds that this wouldn't be applied more than likely against mostly uh, frankly men of color of color yeah I, I mean as, <laughs> if as you were to criminalize owning a certain type of gun who do we think is gonna have would be more likely to be arrested for this given like everything else we know about who's more likely to get stopped and arrested and charged with a crime and then convicted of a crime and then I mean, would this not follow the same pattern why would it be any different you're right <laughs> I, I feel like there, there would be no reason why it would be different right and that's like you said that's what makes the politics complicated right. because on one end obviously we we do want that to no longer be a thing or you know we, we don't want to know the columbine ever exactly but at, at, at the same time though like what what is the answer to right. providing responsible gun ownership because right. it can't be the government because as as we're aware <laughs> one one they don't handle money well and two like there's no good way for them yeah to change these things without causing a, an additional problem I, later i mean it's it's crazy right so like the nra you know they for so long they've said well this democrat president wants to take your guns and that's just a thing they say whenever democrat is Whenever a Democrat is a president, whenever the topic comes up, they say they want to take your guns. They use that as a scare tactic, right. a successful scare tactic. That's it, why gun sales always go up after a mass shooting because they tell the people they're going to take your guns and then their supporters run out and buy a bunch of guns. Yep. But the the message behind that is what if your worst enemy, the president you were most afraid of, had the power to enforce this rule? And they say that to their supporters. When I was researching this, I thought about it and and I said, well, 
Would you want Donald Trump to have a, a registry of all the licensed gun owners? Knowing how he has used the Department of Justice as a weapon to punish his political enemies, knowing that he's more than willing to use the full extent of the government to go after his political enemies, knowing what we saw someone like Richard Nixon do, knowing what we saw someone like J. Edgar Hoover do for 40 years in the FBI, are we sure that turning over that power to the government would be a good idea? Because this isn't even theoretical. Yeah. Like, J. Edgar Hoover was real. He really used the full extent of the, of the FBI to punish his political enemies, especially black people. Mm-hmm. Ask ask uh, Martin Luther King's, you know, ask people to read about that history. Ask them to look like, go and research COINTELPRO. And then tell me you think that giving them the power to, like, know who owned guns and who, where they were, and... Oh, you're you're behind like a month on your on your registration on your license. Cool, that's a crime now. So guess you're a felon. You're a felon. Yep. You're a felon. Knowing what you know about people like Hoover, knowing what you know about someone like Trump, are we sure? Would would you be comfortable turning that power over to them? Um, because that's what you have to think about with the laws. <laughs> like this is what makes this conversation so complicated. One of the things that we were that this country was was about is how do you prevent the government from doing harm? Right. Not can it do good, but how do you prevent it from doing harm? This is where the, this conversation gets complicated because you go, yes, there is a lot of good that could be done. The good is literally saving lives. But the harm would be for a certain group of people, you would probably make their lives worse and more oppressive. Yeah. <laughs> that is just the reality. And the NRA plays to that with their supporters. They tell them this Democrat will take something that, that, that you support and that's again that's how they play up their support um and it's crazy to me that that's enough like that's basically yeah. all they have to do is say yeah. it's actually going to happen this time yeah and then yeah that's all fear of big government uh fear of big government is 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 just such a huge motivating factor for a lot of their supporters and, and it's something that i think it's something that, that that I think we oftentimes, if you're on the left, I think you kind of poop pot away because a lot of us are, are more in favor of sort of uh, larger government programs, things like uh, healthcare for all. And, you know, we're, we're we tend to be more in favor of a government oriented approach to solving some of these problems. And so I think we look at this idea that like the government is your enemy and we go, well, that seems like a ridiculous thing to say. But again, when you look at American history, you go Ask the Japanese Americans who were put in internment camps how they feel. Like, yeah, you're like actually ask Native Americans about the government. Ask black <laughs> people about the government. Most of the government, like, for most of American history, the U.S. government has been bad for black people. That is like a. I'd say they've been bad for people of any kind of color. Right, of any kind of color. If you were a person of color, like actually, the government hasn't been my friend. Like, yeah. Yeah, a lot of stuff was legal and protected by the government. Uh-huh. <laughs> right, right until it wasn't. And so fear of big government is actually not an irrational thing. It's really not. And I think that that kind of bleeds <laughs> into what, what a lot of people fear about, like, the branches of the government that exist in everyday lives, like the police, right? right. Like, they, there's a reason why black people fear the police. Right. You see it in today's, yes. there's a like, video on YouTube, like, or not on YouTube, but like on Facebook of like somebody dealing with some kind of nonsense about the police because of like a, yeah. a simple stop. And yeah. you, you see one of those like once a week, once every two days. Yeah. I mean, like it should happens everywhere. I express this to you again off air. Uh, you know, 
a couple weeks ago, I had a, we'll just say a, a stop of questionable origin. We'll just, we'll be as, I'll be as polite as I can about this. I was a stop of questionable, questionable origin, origin I like by, by police where I was made to, um, I was asked to, the cop stood behind my work van, asked me to leave my work van. He didn't approach my window. He didn't ask me for any of my information at first. He approached behind my work van, yelled at me to leave my work van. I was made to put my information on the hood of his car and place my hands on the hood of his car because he said I was going like 13 miles an hour over the speed limit. Um, he ran my stuff for like literally 20 seconds and then told me to go. It seemed pretty clearly he was just, it was a fishing expedition. Mm. He just saw me, you know, I was driving on my way to Evansville. He saw me driving. He went on a hunt. And then, and, you know, and when I tell people like he didn't approach your vehicle, no. He, he literally yelled at me to get out of my car. When you say to someone like me, should we give that police officer more power over like your freedom? No. Just flatly no. I mean, I feel like that's the logical answer. And that seems selfish in the context of guns because what that would imply is that so you're saying we shouldn't do anything about guns. And the, and the truth, the truth, the truth, Josh, is, is I don't I don't know what to say. I, 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 the truth is I don't actually know what to say. I don't like the idea that certain groups of people should have to carry the burden for the failure of a different group of American society to get their shit together, excuse my language, when it comes to mass shootings. We know who is doing the mass shootings in this country. It is not people who look like me and you. It's not. We are. It's not. So you go. So, so I should have to possibly carry the burden of increased government authority of more ability to lock me up or interfere with my life because a different segment of the population can't stop shooting people keep shooting people this it It, just seems absurd but then i feel bad (laughs) because i go well i also don't want sandy hook to happen (laughs) yes i don't want sandy hook to happen i also don't want to be stopped for any more nonsense (laughs) so then they so this is kind of the last thing I wanted to touch on whenever we were, were discussing this. Like, obviously, there, there's no good answer, yeah. right? There, there's no, <laughs> there, there's not a thing that we can look to that says, like, the, if we could do this, yeah. this would solve the problem. Obviously, yeah. there's there's far too much separation yep. between between the two ideas of where gun control should yep. be. There, there's far too much, too many systematic things at play here. Yep. What can we do, All right. if anything? So I, I, I thought about this. Because I, I figured we'd be top we'd be touching on it, and and I I did think about it. So the the first thing is I do think that Democrats, I think they need to be more flexible with local politics. I think they need to acknowledge that if you want to win a state like Georgia or Texas, or if you want to maybe have someone like Bernie in a place like Vermont, or if you want to be competitive in any other states that are turning purple. You might need to acknowledge that local politicians might need to take stances on guns that are at odds with what the larger party would like them to do. You're just going to, you're not going to be able to enforce the party line in local politics because in order to change the laws, in order to do any of that, you're going to have to win period. You're going to have to win races all over the country in places where you maybe aren't competitive right now. So you might have to acknowledge that. Yeah. The, the, the person you're running in Georgia might be pro-Second Amendment. 
And that's going to be what that's going to be until we can yeah, until we can do it. It is what it, it is. So like that's one step. You're also going to have to look at the NRA, look at what they've done in terms of mobilizing people, look at things like Moms Demand Action, and learn that the key to this is mobilizing voters everywhere, all the time. Yes. You're just you're. That's literally how the NRA is one. Yes. They're, they're doing the exact same thing. Yes. So we we have to yes. do the exact same thing yes. to combat that. Absolutely. And that's you know, um, that's it's going to take buy-in from a lot of people. Um, you see, and that's hard for the Democrats. Yeah, it, it's hard for everybody to get bought in behind either one particular candidate or yeah. what have you. But I think this is in part because of the first one, right? Which is, you go, well, this person might be where we want them to be on guns, but they don't, you know, they're not where we want them to be on this issue or that issue. You go, well, politics is the art of the imperfect. At the end of the day, like, that's true. You're gonna have to deal with imperfect allies and imperfect people to carry the torch for you. Um, and so you're going to have to just counter mobilize the way the NRA does. You're going to have to get people on the ground, grassroots coming up, showing up to vote who care, getting behind candidates and not punishing people who, yeah, if they get a C from the on the NRA scorecard and like, yeah, okay. And they won. Right. All right. That's fine. We need to win races. <laughs> so then in if if I'm to understand this correctly, um, this is more about mobilizing on a local scale consistently yeah. than about necessarily winning the big national race. Yeah. I, I mean on the national level, like uh if you don't control like if you don't control Congress, president insert Democrat here is not doing anything. Fair. About, they're they're and this isn't even just about guns, but like they're not passing anything, guys. You're gonna have to win Congress and do that. You're gonna have to mobilize local people, and you're just gonna have to fight, and fight. I mean, uh, the NRA has existed for like 130 years. You're not winning them overnight, right? We gotta, we gotta, we gotta play their game, yeah, in order to beat them, yeah. So. Either way, um, I'm absolutely glad that you came in here to talk to me about this, man. This was this was very interesting to learn about, and um, I'm very interested to see what comes next in the world of guns. I, I mean, I've, I've, I was paying attention to it uh, kind of on a base level, but now now that I know a whole lot more, now that you gave me a reason to do a little more research, uh, I am very much interested yeah. to see where where, the, where gun control happens next. Yeah, uh, because more things will happen. Right. They just won't happen on the national scale. Yep. So we're going to see what that looks like. So like I said, man, thank you for coming in. Uh, Thank you. Thank you everybody for, for listening at home. Like I said, if you have not read the article, absolutely give it a read. It's wonderfully written. It's, it's definitely something that'll, you know, make, make the brain churn a little bit. Um, It's over at punkcast.news. Check us out on that website and on Facebook as well. We have a Facebook page. And uh, other than that, Josh out, you guys have a great rest of your night.